Welcome to Empower Half an Hour, a mental health podcast that brings firsthand interviews and testimonies to you. Welcome to Empower Half an Hour. My name is Brandon Spatz, and I'm your host. Today we have Kate Young. Kate works as a job coach for Goodwill Easter Sales Miami Valley. She also has been a member of the Miracle Clubhouse since 2020 and serves on their advisory board since 2021. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. Thank you, Brandon. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Good to have you. Let's talk about some of your mental health background. Um, so my diagnoses include uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar one disorder, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and I would also say I suffer with general anxiety. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. Um, so... I would start off by saying that I grew up in a very religious uh, upbringing and that caused a lot of anxiety for me. Um, I remember starting to have panic attacks at about five or six years old. Um, And it just kind of escalated from there. Sounds like a lot at, um, you know, such a young age to have a panic attack and can be really scary as well. Definitely. I started having a lot of like fears and phobias. Um, a lot of fear of not being perfect, of not being uh, good enough. Um, fear uh started having panic attacks at like eight, nine years old um, and begging my parents to stay home from school. Um, I was afraid of things of like things like uh, not doing my homework or forgetting to do my homework and like, you know, getting in trouble. Um, And it just was so overwhelming for me that I would just have panic attacks and like, and beg my parents for me to uh, stay home. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like it was a lot of pressure you were putting on yourself to, you know, just be your best and then kind of, uh, you know, maintain also with uh, anxiety levels. Yeah. The, the fears that I started having about five or six years old with the religious upbringing that I was in, in um, was not being good enough for God. Basically, uh, if you're not perfect, if you don't follow every rule, that it, basically that God's love will be withdrawn and you won't, you know, go to heaven. And it was just so incredibly destabilizing for me as a child and very traumatic as a child. And I remember five, six years old, crying and crying on my bed, like (laughs) that 
you know, afraid that I wasn't going to go to heaven because I was, you know, quote unquote, bad. I was a I was a bad girl and God doesn't love me and he's, he hates me and uh, I'm not going to go to heaven because I wasn't in my mind perfect. So sounds really intense, you know, having those those high standards and then the fear that you won't, you know, get to the place you want to get to one day. Yeah, I think the fear was just the withdrawal of love, the withdrawal of love at such at such an early age, five or six. You know, if you're not perfect, if you if you break a rule, the love will be withdrawn from you. And that was very scary as a child. And really, I think for anybody, <laughs> but, you know, as, as a five, six year old, that's very scary. Very yeah, very traumatizing. Absolutely. And the unconditional love that God gives, you know, and then having, you know, the the fear that it, it might go away. And um, especially if you break a rule, because even the slightest rules, um, you know, sometimes OCD can can have um, have a hold on you um, during that time. Definitely. It interplayed with um, my mental illness, especially later on in life. Sounds like it. Now, what is, um, as, as you got older to about like seven, eight years old, um, what, what did the progression look like from uh, your symptoms? I started, like I said, I started having fears um, and I didn't want to go to school because I think it was that fear of love being withdrawn um, I would be afraid of um, forgetting to do a homework assignment or not doing a homework, you know, assignment accidentally, and um, my teachers hating me, and and that again, that love would be withdrawn, and I would be so overcome by panic, I would just beg my parents to stay home, and I think I would stay home quite. I did stay home quite a bit. Did that have any uh, impact on on uh, school life? Um, being being gone so long, did your your peers kind of um, notice and kind of impacted it in that way, or? No, I don't think so. Um, I had a hard time as a child with socialization. I think because I was so sheltered um, with my religious upbringing. And um, I had I had a hard time with socialization as a child. I was very shy, very timid. Hard time fitting in all around then. Oh yeah. Now you you mentioned that in your diagnoses that um, you had OCD as one of them. Uh, what age was that um, uh, diagnosed, and then? what age um, before you were diagnosed was really um, the most like kind of intense? 14 was the first time I was diagnosed with OCD or diagnosed with a mental illness, which was OCD. Um, yeah, just, just life as a teenager, as an adolescent is scary enough and then put all that those that trauma and the fears and anxiety 
um it yeah it just so much trauma and it it just um you know triggered my ocd i guess so uh what kind of symptoms were you having for the ocd there's multiple subtypes um what were the most um ones that were were really causing a problem at the time um i think and i probably have you know different subtypes um the biggest one that i had it's called um hurt ocd and it's basically the fear of um like accidentally hurting others um which can be very scary. And um, like, jur- I, I was obsessed with washing my hands. So a lot of harm, a lot of harm OCD and, um, and it sounds like some contamination too. Yeah, so my um, compulsions were hand washing my compulsions. I had a lot of internal compulsions. Um, Walk me through um, your uh, cycle in a way. So, you know, with OCD, you have the intrusive thought and it goes to the compulsion. What does uh, some examples uh, look like? So for me, I would have an intrusive thought um, and it would cause trigger a, a state of anxiety, of fear. And so I would, um, in order for that intrusive thought unwanted thought to go away, I would uh, wash my hands excessively. Um, And it would relieve that anxiety for like five minutes. (laughs) What about some of the uh, intrusive thoughts? Um, What kind of um, things were, were popping up at the time? Just the fears of accidentally hurting people, of, um, a lot of the hand washing was like uh, fear of contamination, of having some sort of, I don't know, uh, like I was afraid of using like household appliances um, because they might have, you know, toxic chemicals. And if I, you know, had it on my hands, you know, and I touch somebody or they might accidentally ingested i mean it's you know ocd isn't rational i mean it's it's a disorder which (laughs) which is the title i mean it it is what the title is a disorder it doesn't make sense um yeah and just the fear of that uh of you know they would somehow ingest it from my hands or (laughs) um and you know, get sick and die or something. I would have fears of driving down the road and act and without knowing, like hitting someone with my car and, um, you know, they would be dead on the road and I had no idea. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just laughing because it's, it's very traumatizing and very scary, you know, even, even though it's irrational, you know, it, it's, but that's just, the disorder that's just the illness you know and i would remember i i think 
I would think about, you know, oh, should I go back? I don't think I ever went back to make sure that I didn't run over somebody maybe once, but it, I don't think so. I think it was more thoughts like, should I go back? Should I drive back to make sure? <laughs> so. so sound of, um, sounding like hit and run type of OCD and, um, you know, the, just the thoughts that, that come with that are extremely scary because you, you really don't know. Um, it could be, you know, uh, logically, it could be a pothole. You know, that's that's what it's most likely is. But in the OCD mind, it's really, you know, it takes it and it runs. Yeah. With OCD, it's like, what if? What if I accidentally hurt someone? And it's all like accidentally it's all like what if i accidentally run over someone what if i accidentally you know in my mind have chemicals on my hand and shake someone's hand and they ingest it and they die and you know what if it's always what if what if what if what if so that's definitely the hard part with ocd it's it's really a never-ending cycle because you're you're even when you do a compulsion it really doesn't stop there because your ocg will just take it and and keep going because the more you do compulsions the more it feeds the ocd and then the more it feeds the ocd the more time consuming and the more it takes over your life ultimately yeah and it and this was when you know I was a teenager. I was 14. I was 15. I was 16. And as a teenager, I mean, your brain isn't fully developed, you know, so you still have, you know, uh, you know, I, you still have, uh, a non-developed brain and, and, uh, teenagers can be, you know, fear, uh, irrational or fearful just in general, or they don't understand, um, things, which is why they have parents, so, um, to guide them, and, yeah, it's just really hard. It was just very hard. It sounds like, um, you know, like you said, with the, the undeveloped brain, um, it can be really hard to manage as well, because you're constantly going through those changes, and then, really, I mean, um, I know from other people I've talked to, being a teenager, when you get diagnosed, some people think it's just not a mental illness. It's 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 more so, you know, you're you're rebelling or you know different things like that. So, you know, it's it's everyone has their own opinion, but ultimately it, it comes down to what works uh, for the patient and how um, they can get help rather than disputing what it actually is yeah and I started therapy I started therapy when I was 14 um and <laughs> even one of my treatments with my therapist was to clean his office actually which was hilarious so worked out for him as well <laughs> so I'm guessing it was exposure therapy ERP exposure therapy because of, you know, I spoke earlier about the household chemicals of being afraid of household chemicals and things like that. So he would have me clean his office. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Exposure therapy is such a unique therapy. What people unfamiliar with exposure therapy might not understand when you mentioned your therapist having you clean his office is that there's a science behind it. Exposure therapy takes place in a controlled environment, and it often involves charging anxiety levels before, during, and after your planned exposure, with the end goal of reducing anxiety levels and to reduce the control the OCD has on the patient's life. So going into your, your early 20s, um, kind of walk me through what, um, what it looked like for you. So I started college um, when I was 18, and it was, college was the best time of my life, but it was also destabilizing. Um, I would have a lot of episodes of, um, of my mental illness. Um, I believe, if I think back, um, I had undiagnosed bipolar disorder. Um, I didn't get diagnosed with bipolar one disorder till I was, I think in my thirties. So I think it was a lot of undiagnosed bipolar disorder and, um, the stress of being in school and, um, so in my undergrad, I had to leave school once and, um, and also in my graduate program, uh, I had to leave school once. So that was hard. You mentioned uh, undiagnosed um, bipolar disorder. Um, what were the, the warning signs that you were seeing or even uh, behaviors before you, you know, you fully understood what was going on? Um, <clears throat> just a lot of ups and downs. Um, I didn't even think I recognized or understood that it, they were episodes. Um, I was, my major was uh, vocal music performance. I was on a lot of shows. Uh, I was in a lot of musicals and operas and I would have roles and I would get really, really into them uh, to the point of, I mean, those three months that I would prep for a show, I would get, um, I would overwork myself and be like, I'd be obsessed, like in a, obsessed with it. And after the show, um, I would just completely have a depressive episode um, and, and just be destabilized for weeks at a time. So it sounds like really um, having, you know, what, what could have been either a hypomanic or a manic episode with the, the increased moods. And then, you know, after that show, um, you just crashed into that, that low depths of the depression of bipolar disorder. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that with my prep, um, my character prep, that I would have manic episodes, but I didn't know that's what they were. And like I said, I would get obsessed with um, 
prepping and the performance in general. And I think it would just trigger a manic episode and I would be so manic. I would stay up night after night after night, you know, developing this character and being obsessed. And I didn't even know I was manic. You know, it actually, (laughs) scarily, it, it, it felt good. It felt exhilarating, you know, in a way. So really, what could have been the the decreased sleep um, and all the changes in your sleep pattern could have triggered that uh, manic episode before. Oftentimes, with um, bipolar disorder, um, sleep changes is is a big uh, trigger to to kind of throw you off into a high or low episode. So even even having those shows could have been that that trigger point, even though it was a good experience. It could be destabilizing. Yes. I mean, just in general, uh, I, uh, what, you know, I'm very conscious about my sleep patterns and my sleep schedules, um, to this day because it can trigger an episode. And those episodes can be really scary too. It's, 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 um, with with manic episodes, you get the high, but in the same way, they can get out of hand as well. What kind of um, what kind of things were you noticing when you were in the the higher part of your your moods? Um, like the sleeplessness, um, just being. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Very irrational thoughts, um, impulsiveness. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Definitely, it sounds like it. Do you think that some of your cast uh, members in the shows kind of noticed uh, the change or do you think they just kind of were, you know, not noticing it? <laughs> I think it was like, I don't know. I don't know if they did or not. Yeah. Yeah, it, it can be hard to tell for some, and then some people can really notice a change in, you know, I guess it depends really on how well they know you. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So once you, um, you know, had to stop going to college, uh, kind of what happened next? Um, so I graduated with my bachelor's. Uh, it took seven and a half years because of my mental illnesses and um, just not, you know, being stable uh, mentally. So it took seven and a half years for me to get my bachelor's. I mean, and even, even when you're young in general, you don't, when you go to college at 18, you don't know what you want to do. I mean, some people do. I didn't. I knew, all I knew was I wanted to perform and I wanted to sing. So I did music performance and um, 
It was the best time of my life, though. It was very rewarding. And college opened up my mind. It opened up my life. It opened up to connections with people. So really, it sounds like um, a change from your early life where you were having those hard times fitting in and then college kind of was that time for you to kind of show, um, you know, show your new self in a way. Yes. I feel like I blossomed in college. I uh, became myself. Uh, I got out of you know, I was on my own. I moved out when I was 21. Um, I left um, my religious upbringing. Um, I left, um, I just became independent. And it was, I was my own person. I was myself for the first time in my life. And college really opened my mind to having my own thoughts, having my own ideas, um, having a future, having a life. It was amazing. Um, and just the best experience. That's awesome. And really just, you know, breaking away from, you know, your, your past upbringing of, you know, with religious wise, you were able to, to really recreate yourself, which is really cool. I'm really happy for you. Now, uh, you, you were saying that around age about 26, 27, that you, you were having some, some more problems with your mental health. Um, kind of tell us a little bit about that. So I started going to graduate school at 29, um, I was doing music performance again. I wanted to be an opera singer, an opera performer. Um, and it was about a semester and a half in that I had a major breakdown. And I would consider this, you know, I don't, I don't know if I really believe in rock bottoms because I feel like it can always, you know, you can always have another episode or you can always you know it could be bad again or whatever um but this was definitely maybe a turning point in my life where something had to change there had to be some sort of catalyst there had to be some sort of change in order for me i had to get help i had to and um so i had to leave school unfortunately and I didn't go back, but that was a choice because I had a career choice uh, change. So I didn't go back, but yeah, it was really hard. Sounds like you really figured it out though, even you know that you didn't go back, you, you kind of adapted to what was next. So what was the, um, the moment kind of like when you um, finally got your diagnosis as bipolar one, uh, being that you struggled when you were in your early twenties, um, kind of figuring out what, what it was and why was I having these kind of things? 
Yeah, it was. So when at 29, when I had um, my a major breakdown, I was in and out of the hospital. I had I went to an outpatient program. Um, and that's when I was diagnosed with bipolar one disorder and I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder as well. And it was very healing, very healing to be diagnosed properly with my post-traumatic stress disorder. It was life-changing to be diagnosed because I had no idea what I was struggling with. Absolutely no idea. So the answer finally came and, and you were ready for it because, you know, you, you had had that time of trying to figure out what was wrong and you finally got some confirmation that, you know, this is what it is. Yep. For the first time in my life, I, I said, oh, is that what it is? Oh, well, I can figure that out. I can, I can do that. Like I can, I can get treatment for that. You know, it wasn't this internal struggle anymore. This, you know, these, these debilitating thoughts of, you know, quote unquote, what's wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with me? Like, um, internal, um, just being a, you know, what was wrong with me as a, as a person? I thought there was something wrong with me. Not that I had a mental illness. Oh, that's a mental illness. Oh, it's PTSD. Oh, well, I can figure that out. That's fine. You know, it wasn't this, there's something wrong with me, you know? It makes it all so much more manageable. Um, you know, knowing, you know, having, having that, um, diagnosis. Now, how has it really helped you um, going on, you know, into your recovery, um, you know, starting recovery into the recovery you're at now? Has it helped you um, more so? Or do you think it's held you back? Which one kind of like, what do you think it would be? Oh, no, I, I have been in recovery since I would say uh, maybe s mid 2019. Um, like I said, that diagnose the diagnosis of um, PTSD was just life changing for me because I had a lot of internal shame and I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand what what was going on with my mind, and. Um, so I started, after I got out of my outpatient program, I started going to a counselor. That's when the healing really began. Um, and I started um, going to um, a psychiatrist or um, a, a psych uh, practitioner and I was um, 
consistent with um, my medication and I was properly medicated. Um, for the first time I was on a mood stabilizer um, and I think that that was very game changing for me as well. Um, and so I was very stable for the first time in my life between the therapy, the immense emotional healing that I went through, psychological healing, and um, the medication, the proper medication. And yeah, and so uh, I was going to counseling and then uh, my husband helped me find NAMI, which is, uh, what is the National Alliance for Mental Illness, is that correct? Um, yeah, and um, I would started going to a support group, uh, which was really helpful. And um, I started wanting to get employment again because I hadn't had a job. I was so destabilized. I hadn't had a job for about two, two and a half years. And that's very, you know, I was always working and working and a go-getter. And so that was a huge change for me, you know, not having employment and, um, you know, because I wasn't, I was very ill, I wasn't stable. And um, so I wanted a job. I was um, talking about it in my, uh, in my group, my support group, and somebody suggested Miracle Clubhouse. Uh, they said, oh, they help with employment. Um, so I called Miracle Clubhouse and I became a member, I uh, think it was about July 2020, and they helped me get a job. And now I am a full-time job coach with Goodwill Easter Seals. That's amazing. It sounds like you, within the past, you know, several years, just uh, once you got into that recovery mode, you've just really kept on going and rebuilding life. Yes. Yes. I am the best place I've ever been in my life, uh, mental health wise, and truly feel like I have a life and I have a future. Um, because for a long time there, I felt like I didn't, or it was questionable whether in my mind whether I, I could or not. That's awesome. You know, and the thing is like recovery still has its ups and down, but when you have that um, you know, clear vision of uh free free of the disorder um at, at times, it's it's just so much better because you can actually plan for a future. Yes. And I think you know, the clear, uh, what'd you say, the clear picture? Yeah, that's that's definitely stabilizing for me because I can separate myself, um, you know, most of the time. I, I can separate myself from my, from my diagnoses. Um, I can see it as, okay, this is symptoms of my bipolar disorder, you know, the, so it's not, um, so I can separate it from myself. 
Absolutely. And, and knowing your, your uh, triggers and knowing, you know, what, what really makes things better and what makes things worse. Now, do you have any, um, any future goals that you're, you're currently going for now that you're, you're in the recovery, uh, kind of in the recovery mode? Um, yeah, I have some, some life goals. Um, I'm just always working on, you know, my career path, um, you know, kind of considering like, what else might I want to do, you know, to grow in my career path? Like maybe, you know, social, you know, do I want to go back to school? Do I, do I want to, you know, maybe social work? Um, and that's really exciting for me. I feel that I've started getting a niche or, um, getting really into the idea of social work and working with people who need help, uh, and need some, well, need support. Um, I work with people with disabilities and special needs, um, to help them be successful in their jobs. And that's very rewarding. And I want to do more things like that and maybe different aspects of, of things than just employment, uh, aspects of, of, um, the work. And so that's very exciting for me. Absolutely. And it sounds like you're doing really good work and using, you know, your own struggles in the past to really inspire and, and move towards helping others getting into whether recovery or in just jobs that they like, you know, um, that they can have a chance in. Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely a passion of mine. I love that kind of work. It's very rewarding. Definitely. You know, I see good things coming for you in the, in the future. I really do. Um, I'd like to thank our, our guest, uh, Kate Young, for coming on the show today. And for more information on the podcast, um, go to Instagram and search Empower a Half an Hour. And as always, thank you and have a great day.